Would you stand with me, please? In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers. Not river, rivers. Rivers of living water. My subject is, is there room in your life for a river? Is there room in your life for a river? God bless you. You may be seated. This is a picture of the most famous house in America. It's known as Falling Water, designed by probably the most famous architect that's ever come out of America. His name is Frank Lloyd Wright. It was designed for a wealthy Pittsburgh businessman by the name of E.J. Kaufman. Kaufman owned a lot of land in Pennsylvania and uh, would take his employees there on a company picnic. But in time, he wanted to build something for his family. He asked Wright to build him a cabin. Wright built him a palace. Wright was a notorious procrastinator, and it seemed that he always worked best when he was in deep debt and he was out of time. And so Kaufman called him from Pittsburgh and said, uh, I would like to come and see the elevations of the house. And uh, Wright famously said, come on, E.J., we're all ready for you, which stunned all of his apprentices because they knew there wasn't one line that had been drawn yet. But between Pittsburgh and Wisconsin, Wright drew these prints for this famous house. He had a fellowship there in a place called Taliesin in Wisconsin. Taliesin is, a, is an old Welsh word for shining brow. And he had all these young wannabe architects and apprentices around him. And they talked about how they just kept sharpening pencils and giving them to write. Who drew all of the prints and the elevations for falling water in three hours without a note. It stunned them because they realized he knew where every rock was. He, he, he knew how far he would have to go into the face of that cliff to cantilever those massive porches and floors for that house. But when Kaufman showed up, Wright stunned him with what is the real gem of the project. There was a rock in the middle of this river called Bear Run. Kaufman used to wade out with his family through that river. They'd sit on that rock and they'd have a picnic. To their absolutely amazement, Wright ran the river right through their house. And there's a set of stairs on the bottom of that one porch where they were able to walk down and get on that rock that they had had 
all of those picnics on. It is considered an architectural masterpiece. I thought it was a great story because everywhere I look, I, I just see stories. I, I'm a weird kid. I look at things through the optics of the Bible and through the church. I just thought this was a great story about someone who ran a river right through the middle of a house. <laughs> In 1984, the athletic shoe business was dominated by Converse. Converse shoes had 54% of the athletic market. They had guys like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. The closest competitor to Converse was Adidas. Adidas had about a third of 29% of market share. And the caboose coming in last place was a small shoe company in Beaverton, Oregon, known as Nike, who were led by a very eccentric man named Phil Knight. I heard this story about a man named Sonny Vaccaro. Sonny Vaccaro was the marketing director for Nike. And it was his job to find three basketball players and he had $250,000 budget. He was going to spread out that $250,000 between those three men. <clears throat> that was going to be their promo for the year. Those were going to be the fellas that they would try to recruit to wear their shoes. And all of that changed when Sonny Vaccaro saw the clip of the 1982 NCAA championship game. In 1982, North Carolina was in the championship game with Georgetown. And um, Sonny Vaccaro kept watching this clip again and again and again. And uh, watch this right here. Watch. That's Michael Jordan right there. Watch. He's 18 years old. Watch this. Bam. There's 14 seconds left to go. North Carolina was coached by a man named Dean Smith. Dean Smith had a reputation of always being a bridesmaid and never a bride. He had been to the championship game three times and lost every time. This is the seventh game of the championship series. They've, they've got famous players on North Carolina. And uh, it's, when Sonny Vaccaro kept watching this clip, it stunned him to realize this play is designed for Michael Jordan. It's the last play of the last game and possibly the last championship that Dean Smith will ever coach. And yet Dean Smith trusted an 18-year-old kid with that shot. They had a famous man named James Worthy who went on to a very, very illustrious NBA career. But when Sonny Vaccaro saw this kid 
from Wilmington, North Carolina, just so casually make that shot under that much pressure, under those kind of duresses, he realized, I am looking at something really special here. And so Sonny Vaccaro threw all rules to the wind. And he did something you're never supposed to do. He went to Michael Jordan's house. It's always supposed to go through the agents. He went from Oregon, flew and got a car and drove to Jordan's house and talked and met his mom and dad, but most importantly, met his mother, the power broker behind the throne. Her name was Dolores. When he came into her yard, she said, you know, this is very arrogant of you to come into our, up to our house unannounced. To just, don't you realize how rude this is? And he said, Mrs. Jordan, I think your son should be represented by somebody who's not willing to ever take no for an answer. And when he said that, it stunned her. And she said, well, actions always meant more to me than words. I'll give you a few minutes. What do you want to say? And he said, Mrs. Jordan, I think you're the only person in the world that really understands how great your boy is going to be. And I'm asking you, she said, you know Michael's going to go with Adidas. And if Adidas can't give him the right offer, his second choice is Converse. He said, I know that we're not even considered. But he said, I'm asking you to bring your son and your husband to Oregon and listen to what I have to say. So when Sonny Vaccaro went back to Beaverton, his boss, Phil Knight, was furious that he had gone to North Carolina without his blessing and he was going to fire him. Knight said... Years later, I decided to go for a run. And when I came back to my office, I called Sonny Vaccaro in my office, who expected to be fired, and he said, what do we got to lose? I'm authorizing you to give Michael Jordan all the money, $250,000. Don't spread it out between three guys. Never done this before. Like you to offer all of it to Michael Jordan. So Zunny Vaccaro went down to the design department with an amazing guy named Pete Moore. <laughs> he simply asked Pete, he said, I want you to design the greatest basketball shoe that's ever been made. Mr. Moore told him, humans have been wearing shoes for thousands of years. And the design has substantially changed once when they made a difference between right shoes and left shoes. And they did that 600 years ago. You want the greatest basketball shoe of all time. How long do I have? He said, till Monday, which was three days away. Pete Moore came up with a masterpiece. These are a picture of Michael Jordan's shoes that were worn in his first game of the Chicago Bulls. They sold 
in May of 2020 for $674,000. A revolution was created with these shoes. The NBA had a rule that 50% of the shoe had to be white, of which this one isn't. For every game Michael Jordan would wear these shoes, the NBA would fine them $5,000. And Phil Knight said, who cares? It's great advertisement. We'll pay. We'll pay the fine. When Michael Jordan and his mom and dad came to Beaverton, Sonny Vaccaro said this to him. Michael, you were cut from your high school basketball team. You have willed your way to the NBA. You're going to win championships. It's an American story, and all Americans are going to love it. You're going to change the world. But you know that once America has built you as high as they possibly can, they're going to tear you down. It's the most predictable pattern in this country. And the only way to combat this, Michael, is you're going to have to be willing to be that guy that they revere 100% of the time. This is the way it works. You're going to be exalted and then you're going to be attacked, betrayed, exposed. Can you survive that? In that moment when you're truly alone, who will you be? Because Michael, a shoe is just a shoe until someone steps into it. And then it has meaning, not meaning for you, meaning for the rest of us. You see, we just want to touch your greatness. We want you in Nike shoes, Michael. Not so you have meaning in your life, but that we can have meaning in ours. And everyone at this table is going to die and be forgotten, but not you. You're going to be remembered for a long time, Michael Jordan, because there are some things that are eternal. Because your story is going to make us all want to fly. They left, and three days later, to the astonishment of the sports world, Michael's mom said, we are willing to take Nike's offer under one condition. Michael gets a percentage of every pair of shoes that you sell with his name. <laughs> Never been done before. Supposedly give him 250000 He's happy with that. They make the shoes. They make the money. That's not what Dolores said. Dolores said, you know and I know my boy is going to be the greatest ball player of all time. My boy gets a percentage of every pair of shoes that are sold. Phil Knight said, well, so what? The best we can probably do is sell $3 million worth of them shoes the first year. Nike sold $162 million worth of Air Jordans in eight months. Today, Michael Jordan is, of course, the most famous sports figure in the world. He's worth over a billion dollars. His passive income from these shoes 
right now stands at $400 million. If you had a pair of first-generation Jordans right now, depending on the condition, they'd be worth $25,000. Now, I'm not here to just give you a lecture on architecture or turn you into sneakerheads. It stunned me a while ago to realize that the Bible begins with a river and two trees. Genesis chapter 2. That's the very same story that the Bible ends with. In Revelation chapter 22, it said there was a river, and on either side of the river was the tree of life. It had fruit, would be born every month, and it said there were healing leaves. I knew I was on to something. Bible begins with the story of a river and two trees. It ends with the story of a river and two trees. But then I really got excited when I found Ezekiel 47. Because right smack dab in the middle of the Bible is the story of water that's coming out of the house of God. First it was to the ankles. And then Ezekiel kept waiting and it was to his knees. And then he kept waiting and it was up to his waist, his loins. And then he said, I couldn't touch bottom. It was a river that I couldn't pass over. If you keep on reading, it says in Ezekiel 47 and 12, and by the river upon the bank thereof, on this side and on that side, shall grow trees for meat whose leaf shall not fade. Neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed because it shall bring forth new fruit according to his months because of the water that issued out of the sanctuary. And the fruit's going to be for meat. And the leaf's going to be for medicine. One verse says you couldn't eat the fruit. It doesn't mean you couldn't eat it. It means you couldn't eat it all. Because here in Michigan, apple trees have apples once a year. And grapes are on the vine once a year that you can pick. But these are very special trees. You can have a harvest every month here. And every month it's a different kind of fruit. And not only is this tree amazing because of the fruit that it produces, the leaves on these trees can heal nations. So I've fascinated for years, as you know, with Isaiah 61, which is the first sermon that Jesus Christ ever preached. It's found in Luke chapter 4. It goes something like this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach to the meek, bind up the brokenhearted, liberty to the captives, opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. You got ashes, he'll give you beauty. You have mourning, he'll give you the oil of joy. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. That he might be glorified. I knew I was on to something. It begins with a river and two trees. 
It ends with a river and two trees. Right smack dab in the Bible. River and two trees. First sermon Jesus ever preached. Talked about these trees of righteousness. And then I remembered this. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor standeth in the way of the sinner. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scorner. But is in his law, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. His leaf shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth is going to prosper. Ladies and gentlemen, we're supposed to be the trees. And in order to have these kind of trees and to bear this kind of fruit and to have these healing leaves, there are two things that are required. Number one is righteousness. Righteousness. Trees of righteousness. My father-in-law made something very simple to me. He said, what is righteousness, Harold? And I, I didn't know how to answer that. He said, I'll tell you what I think it is. It's just doing what's right. Just doing what's right. You believe there's a God. Do you believe his saving name is Jesus? They that come to him must believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, you can study every civilization this world has ever known. And everybody knows you're not supposed to murder. Everybody knows you don't mess with somebody else's wife. Everybody knows you don't steal and take stuff that's not yours. Everybody knows you're not supposed to lie. Everybody knows you honor your mom and dad. Those are non-optional principles that are hardwired into the spirit of every man and every woman that has ever walked on this earth. Are you righteous? Are you doing what's right? I know we say perfection is not attainable, but let me tell you what the Bible said. If you don't offend in word or deed, the same as a perfect man. I'm telling you, it is possible to lay your head down at night and say, I did it right today. I didn't offend one person. I didn't say one thing beneath the dignity of someone who would dare to call themselves a child of God. My words were good. My actions were good. I was perfect today. Now, I know it says if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. But I'll be honest with you. There's a place. I've, I, I, I know there's a verse in the Bible that said his ways aren't our ways. And his thoughts aren't our thoughts. But this is what Paul said. Let this mind be in you. Which was also in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, it is possible to see it his way. It is possible to think like he thinks. The Bible said Israel knew what God did. Israel knew his acts, but Moses knew his ways. Israel was at least smart enough to realize God was on their side, but they had no idea what was going on and how that occurred. But Moses understood, hands up we win, hands down we lose. He understood God's ways. I'm appealing to you today because 
We've got to be the trees. This, this world is sick. I don't know what 666 means, but I do know this. This world is sick, sick, sick. And it comes a time in walking with the Lord. That, am I preaching to anybody here today that you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired? <laughs> because it's not enough just to be righteous. You got to live by a river. Not a mud puddle. Not a pond. Not some shallow, tepid spring. River. River. There is a river. The streams whereof made glad the people of God. It does exist. Now you might have never experienced it. And you might have never had a taste of it. But I'm telling you, that doesn't negate the fact that it doesn't exist. It's there. It's available to us. We can access this thing. But if you notice Ezekiel's story, that it's to the ankles and then the knees and then the loins and then you can't touch bottom. I think it's a great picture of, of walking with the Lord. I, 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 I think the deeper you get in this thing, the less of you and me is going to be seen. And there is a place, you see, there's three arcs in the Bible. First of all, there's the Ark of Noah. And then there's Jochebed's Ark that she put baby Moses in. And then there's the Ark of the Covenant. Let me tell you what I learned about Noah's Ark a long time ago. There's no sail. There's no rudder. There's no steering wheel. That ark, like all of the other arks in the Bible, were totally at the will and the whim of the current. Long as you can touch bottom, sir, you're in charge. As long as you can dig your toes, lady, in the dirt and the dust and the gravel by the side, you're, you're in charge. I'm preaching to somebody here today that I'm hoping that you're willing to get out there where you can't touch bottom anymore. And you're willing to let the river take us where we need to go. Where do we need to go? Praise God. Praise God. Do you have, do you have a place in your life for a river? Do you have it there? Is there room in your life for a river? I'm not talking about something modest. I'm not. I think, say, why'd you tell us that story of that house? Are you, are you willing to let the Lord run right smack dab through the middle of your life? This is what Joseph said. I had a vision and I was, I was the sheaf in the middle, but all the other sheaves were around me, bowing down to me. And I was, I was the planet in the middle. And daddy, you were the sun and mom, you were the moon and all the rest of you boys were stars, but you were in orbit around me. I was the center of the universe. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. I think Joseph is the greatest Old Testament example of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible said, and unto him shall the gathering together of the people be. Because all the way from the beginning, you read that Bible. It says that he was the one that dwelled between the cherubims. Ezekiel tells a mystical thing known as a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Some people think it's a gyroscope. I just, I don't understand all that. It's the wheel in the middle of the wheel. It doesn't surprise me that Jesus was flanked by thieves and he was on the middle cross. 
I can do this again and again and again. I'm telling you, this thing only works if Jesus is in the middle. He can't be on the edge. He can't be on the periphery. You gotta be able to willing to let him flow right smack dab through the middle of your life. Every thought, every dream, every fear, every inhibition, every aspiration. Are you willing to put that on an altar and say, God, see, try in me. See if there's any wicked thing in me. Discard what you will, renovate what you can. But oh Lord, I wanna be a vessel that you can flow through. I have room in my life for a river. I want that thing to go. The Bible said, freely you have received, freely give away. It's like tithing. God didn't give you that money to hoard it. God didn't give you that money to build a bigger barn. If your barn's full, great. I rejoice with you. Don't build a bigger barn. Have a full barn and give the rest of it away. I want to know why it is this. For years, I've had people, Lord, pastor, priest, pray for me. That God would bless me. I'm in trouble with money. I'm in trouble with money. And we pray and God bless them and they quit praying. I think you need to pray as much when you get the money as you did before you ever got it. I'm not a money. I'm, I'm, I'm way beyond money here right now. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I think he wants to be right smack dab in the middle of our lives. I want us... I want us to be the sunny vaqueros of Pentecost. I want us to look at the Lord and see something great. Other people might not see it, but I want first church people to see it. I want, I want them to realize we got to sell everything we got and give everything to him. We, we're putting all our eggs in his basket. Dear Jesus, I believe that you can touch this city. I believe that you can have a revival in this church and a harvest in this community. I believe we can touch the Midwest. I don't think it's by chance that Michigan is a hand, but Michigan is not a closed fist. Michigan is an open hand. And so this church is not going to ever be the church of the clenched fist, but of an open hand. Freely he gives, freely he gives away. <laughs> oh, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. Because he said, I'm telling you, boy, out of your belly, out of your belly are going to flow rivers, rivers. Whoever's going to drink of the water that I shall give shall never, ever thirst again. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We've sung, we've had an altar service. Stand with me and let's worship for a while. Come with me around this altar. I know it, this is whatever. <laughs> what they used to call them movies just years ago. Uh, when you got two movies in one day, I forget what day. I never did. Matinee. This is a matinee, okay? We already had an older service. We're going to have a matinee. Let's come up here again. Amen. I'm appealing to you. I want you to believe. We did. Now, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Pentecost has been my life for many, many, many years. To my knowledge, we return the largest cash offering in the history of this entire movement. This movement's been around since 1945. That's whatever, 55, close to 78 years now. First church gave the large, we don't have independently wealthy people in this church. I had a man, I was standing in the drugstore as I do, I talk with people. There was an old gentleman in front of me and he was 
as far as I was concerned, taking too much time. And I said, would you please get out of the way? I got to, I got to buy this toothpaste and go home. He laughed at me and moved off the side. And he said, oh, well, I need a newspaper. And I said, no, 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 you stay there. I'll pay for your newspaper. And I put a couple bucks down and bought him a newspaper. And I said, there. He pushed me out of the way and said, give me two of them lottery tickets. That lady pulled off two of them lottery tickets and he paid for them and gave them to me. He said, I wish you win. I hope you win, boy. And boy, did I hope I win. And I was, honest to goodness, I didn't tell nobody. I was down in my basement, man, when them numbers came. The first number, we hit it. Second number, we hit it. The third number, we hit it. And I'm going, oh, baby. Because I had already made a covenant with the Lord. I won't keep a dime of it. I won't keep a dime. I'll build a new temple. We'll give millions to missions. We'll build churches all over the world. I, won't, I promise you, God, I won't keep a dime. I didn't win. But the next morning, someone called me from Australia and said, I have a word from the Lord for you. If you would have won, you would have got all the glory. God doesn't want one person to build this temple. God intends for everybody to have a part in the blessing. (laughs) I could tell you story after story after story, but I, I really, truly believe, ladies and gentlemen, we are perfectly positioned to do something amazing. Can you see that in your God? You know, is he just some stupid cross around your neck? I see people do this all the time. It's like, oh, cut it out. For goodness sakes. It's just cut that foolishness out. Get him in the middle of your heart. Don't just dangle him around your neck like some, some piece of cheap jewelry. I'm seeing it at Pentecost. Pentecost can become a habit. It can be a weekend pastime. I'm, I'm looking for people that are willing to sell out. I'm looking for people that every day of the week, you're just on, on notice. God, lead me to hungry people. Guide me to hungry people. I believe you're great. I really do. I see something in you, Jesus. Other people may, may just consider you one of many, but not me, man. I, I see you. I see you, the mighty God in Christ. The Lord, almighty, omnipotent reigneth. Amen. I want us to look at Jesus the same way that guy looked at an 18-year-old kid years ago and realized something that nobody else realized. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Because just like so many people want to wear a pair of Michael Jordan shoes, they're never going to dribble like him. They're never going to shoot like him. They're never going to fly like him. But I can have a pair of Michael shoes. Do you realize that you and I have the, the honor, the privilege of having the spirit of the mighty God in us. You realize what we have access to, what he is inviting us to share with. Praise God, praise God. We're gonna sing worship for a while. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. 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 name.